kids can head back to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay, we're going to camp out on one verse uh, for the majority of our time in God's word today. And um, I would love just to, I see a lot of new faces. This is not uncommon at Redemption Hill. Uh, so thankful for uh, all of you who were able to join us, maybe for the first time or the second time or the third time. Uh, so uh, let me welcome you. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as our lead pastor. And uh, we would love for you at some point during uh, the service just to fill out that little connect card. We'll pass baskets later on and just give you an opportunity uh, for us to get to know you. And uh, we promise not to share your, you know, information all over the world. We'll just send you a little email thanking you uh, for joining us uh, this Sunday. Well, we're continuing our work series today uh, that we're just calling, uh, we're not always so creative around here at Redemption Hill, we're calling it work, all right? How about that? You love that. Uh, work. Uh, and then the subtitle, which really gets at, at our vision uh, statement for this year, is Overflowing on the clock. And so we've been thinking about how uh, God wants to fill us with himself in such a way, check this out, that we are just overflowing his presence in us by his spirit who dwells within every person who believes in Christ. We're overflowing him everywhere we are, talking about our families, talking about our friendships, talking about uh, just in our neighborhoods, wherever we're going about our business. And that certainly includes our work lives. And so I want to put a thought out there for you today that hopefully will help you calibrate just how vital and just how important your work is on a day-to-day basis, okay? And that is this idea that by our lives, we are continually speaking about who God has made us to be, what we value, and even who God is, okay? So just think about this, all right? So, so the decisions you make, the places you go, the actions you take, every, everything that you're doing throughout your, we, this is moment by moment, which certainly then applies to our work lives, is actually communicating something very significant about who we are, who God has made us to be, and even who God is. And so some have pointed out that the word vocation, we're going to talk about vocation today, the word vocation or or calling, um, that that Latin word vocatio can be translated voice. So think about this. By our work, our life speaks. And so the question for us today, and I really want to encourage you, okay, not just to be a passive listener, okay, but but, but a very active participant in this time. We're thinking about God's design for our work. I want to ask you, what is your life saying in your work? How clearly are you communicating the things that you deeply value, the things that you want to deeply value? Does your life speak loudly to the beauty of God in this world that he has made? Or maybe do you need some amplification in your life? 
You know what I'm saying? Like this, this song that we just sang, I love it. We, my, my wife, it's like a, my wife's favorite song, all right? And, uh, and so um, that's not why Dan picked it, by the way. Okay, she's never asked for that song. Just in case you probably like, oh, Pastor Tanner requested it. His wife, no, no, that's not how it works. Um, but uh, she loves this song. So like, it's, it's a big difference. Okay, Nikki, you, mm, come on now, Nikki. You were, mm, thank you. That was good. Um, like Nikki singing it through these speakers, right? Like Seth, our AV team always does a great job every week. Like there's a big difference in that and like, pulling out my phone and like that, you know, little tiny just, you know, speaker that's just kind of, you know, like crank it up as high as it'll go, right? But you probably can't hear it from the other room. And in our lives sometimes are like that. Our lives are, are not speaking as loudly as God would have us speak even in the workplace. And so today I want to encourage us to raise your voice in the workplace by reflecting God's work, all right? Raise your voice at work by reflecting God's work. I want to give you three ways you can do that, okay? Number one, do what God made you to do, all right? Do what God made you to do. So we get this, this idea of, of vocation, and we, at Redemption Hill, we tie this even as, as how we serve. By the way, being a church member is one of your callings, right? Like, if, you, if you're a Christian, then you are part of a church family, and that is one of our vocations. It's one of our callings. And so we even use this language about serving with teams around here, and we look at how God has uniquely shaped us to serve others. And there's so many parallels between even serving at church and serving in your workplace. And so when we talk about shape, we're talking about the gifts, specifically in the church, spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us, um, our heart or passions that he's given us, the abilities, our personality, and even our experiences. Did you catch that acronym? Spiritual gifts, heart, person, uh, passions, abilities, personality, experience. That spells shape, all right? I got that. Thank you. Um, so, so our shape, like how God has uniquely shaped us to serve others and benefit others around us. This is the idea of vocation. And we see this from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 17. Look at this. It's on the screen. You can turn to your Bible or just follow along on the screen. It says this. Only let each person... Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. All right, so don't, don't miss that. Um, God has assigned us particular uh, stations in life, work in life, responsibilities, roles in life, and he has called us to them. And so that's why if we read the whole chapter, we would see that Paul's talking about um, being called to be a husband or a wife. He's talking about sometimes being called to singleness. And he's also talking about our calling to be at work. And so throughout, throughout this chapter, Paul is talking about vocational callings. But obviously this morning I want us to focus on work, okay? And this is so, this is so important. And why is that, okay? By our work... Okay, we demonstrate that God has particular assignments for us by which he wants us to reflect him and serve those around us, All right? Now, here's what I love about this, okay? 
what, what this understanding of calling or, or vocation or assignment does for all of us is it absolutely smashes the myth of the sacred, sacred secular divide, all right? So, so, so in other words, like, here, here's how this goes, okay? Like, pastors, missionaries, Christian leaders, okay? They are doing the sacred work, the really spiritual work, okay? But everyone else in the secular realm is doing less significant work than them. Right? And I just, I mean, like, that's extremely discouraging to me if that were true, because it probably means that, uh, should I use this, Seth? Okay, let me just transfer over to this. This will, uh, you know, we talked about, like, uh, challenges or frustration in your work. And so, like, even, like, hardware, like, goes bad. So we just need to, we know we need to order another. We have an excellent AV team who, like, tr- troubleshot at this morning. Is that a word, troubleshot? Uh, so anyway, we, we got it covered, all right? We got it covered. Thanks to team serving in their roles. Um, so so um, this, the sacred, sacred secular uh, divide that, that says, hey, all, all of this work over here for God, like it's, it's, it's really special. It's really spiritual. But everyone else, and, and what I was saying is um, my parents, like my parents, like my father was a basketball coach. My mother is a nurse. And so like is, there, is their work l- less significant to God? Let me show you how you beat that down, all right? Like, like here's what I want to do today. I want to help you bury that line of thinking six feet deep. You know what I'm saying? So, so here we go. So you're telling me that God does not care about putting food on the table? Oh. So go ahead, grocers, baristas, and chefs, farmers. Oh, so you're telling me that God doesn't care about developing the, the, the minds and lives of children. So go ahead then, coaches, teachers, and those serving in education. What about the marginalized, the broken, the sick? Does the work they do not reflect the heart of God? So then go ahead, do your thing. Social workers, counselors, those in medicine, doctors, nurses, even those in pharmaceuticals, right? Helping people's broken lives be mended and put back together. What about God's concern for a just and safe society? Thank you, public servants. Thank you, politicians. Thank you, um, those that are police officers, lawyers, and, and in the criminal justice system. And we can just keep going, right? Like, thank you, Mr. Mechanic, for keeping our cars on the road. Thank you, Mrs. T. Worker, for helping us get to work. Thank you for those serving in waste management who keep the bubonic plague out of Boston. Come on. All of our work matters to God. We just keep dance instructors, musicians, nonprofit workers, engineers, construction workers, software developers, bankers, investment, investors, businessmen and businesswomen. They're all building our city and enriching our lives. They all have a specific calling and assignment from God. All of our work has dignity in the sight of God. 
when we're doing something constructive that will serve those around us. So, so clearly, if, if work is, is a, a implicitly and explicitly uh, sinful, not according to God's design, okay, then, then that is not a true calling. It's not a true vocation. Okay, so we think of the Hugh Hefners of the world, the Bernie Madoffs, right? Um, you know, Whitey Bulgers, okay, like those are not callings from God. That's not dignified work, but, but all other work that builds others up and meets needs around us, those are valued vocations in the sight of God. And so we all have an assignment. But the question may be for you, like, how do I discover that assignment? Like, maybe you're in college and you're looking ahead at your vocational path, or maybe you're in a job right now that you just do not find fulfillment, and you're wondering, like, is this really for me? Is this what I was made for? I want to offer just a few questions that can maybe help you discern how you can find your voice in the workplace. Okay, so number one, here's a question. What do you love? What do you love? Dorothy Sayers says this, the Christian understanding of work is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's abilities, the medium in which he offers himself to God. Wow. So when we pursue work that we will enjoy, we will find more joy in our work. What do you love? Number two, what are you good at? Again, God has made each of us different. We all have different gifts, skills, and abilities. And so work takes our God-given talents and transfers them to skills and competencies that help get things done in a particular assignment. And so just think about me, all right? Like, I don't go to museums often, all right? But when I do, uh, I really enjoy just looking at the amazing art. Like, uh, my wife and I were on uh, a trip to Philly a few years ago, and they had a, a, a Rembrandt exhibit. I mean, he's one of my favorite painters, just the, the amazing intricacy and how he uses light. And, and so, you know, I start thinking, as I'm walking through the museum, you know, I start thinking, like, you know what? Maybe, you know, maybe I could... Do, do my thing, you know, like probably maybe not that good, but, you know, somewhere in the ballpark. And, and then what happens when I pick up my pad and pencil, my Rembrandtian dreams like get crushed, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm just producing like kindergarten level stick figures, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and half the time even those are crooked. It's just kind of sad, you know. So it's like that's not, that's not where, what I'm good at. It's not who God has made me to be. What do you love? What are you good at? And here's a question that maybe we don't consider enough. Where can you do the most good? Our work should provide a clearer picture of God's design for our world and the coming kingdom of God that is on the way. We should shift our questions from those like, how can I utilize my skills and gifts to maximize my own comfort to how can I leverage my life for the good of others and the glory of God? Where can you do the most good? Number four, what do people who know me well 
say about what I should do. So I can remember, like, being in uh, grad school. Like, grad school for pastors is called seminary, right? So I was in seminary. I was working on, you know, a couple degrees there. And, and as I was starting to really pray about the possibility of starting a new church somewhere in North America, it was really a surprising idea. Then I didn't start seminary with the idea that I would go somewhere and start a new church. But, but that, God started to put that on my heart, started to pray about it. I started, you know, as I was reading the scriptures, certain verses were like just standing out. and like just really need to continue praying about this. And so what I did was not only prayed about it, but I went and talked to two of my mentors and said, what do you think? Like, like could you see me doing this? Could you see me uh, thriving and excelling in this kind of work? Number five, where are the open doors in your life? So, so here, here's what's going to happen, okay? You're going to get into a field that you think you might enjoy, hopefully, and you will. But then you're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what? Wow. It was because of that teacher and their influence in my life. It was because I had an opportunity to work on that project. And God just started to give me a passion for that kind of of work, maybe maybe uh, an open door that that you didn't see coming that just just opened your horizons to to new possibilities, and so God uses these open doors, these experiences, influences in our life to show us maybe we're cut out for this kind of calling. And then finally, I would just ask you, what is God stirring you to do? What what is God stirring you to do? Like when you pray, like what are you what are you praying about? How is He working in your life? Like we should seek God in prayer for what He wants us to do in the workplace. God made us to work. He cares about our work. He wants us to submit that to Him. And so see where God is stirring your heart, and then go follow those dreams that He places in your soul. And so with these questions. If we talk about finding our voice, I want to sound a warning here, okay? Because I realize that, that many of you may be like, I, you need those questions, right? Like you, you're seeking to find your voice in the workplace. You're not quite sure what that long-term calling is from God that he's assigned for you. But then others of us, we don't have that problem. In fact, we have the exact opposite, all right? It's, it's like, man, it's not that we're trying to find our voice. It's just that we've found our voice and we can't stop talking. You know what I'm saying? Like we're vocationally loquacious. Come on, you didn't catch that. That's like a metaphorical way of saying that some of us are addicted to our work. You see, in Boston, like many places in America, workaholism has become the acceptable addiction. Think about that. The acceptable addiction. We, we live in the land of the free, and yet we are probably more enslaved to our work than any other country in the world. Some claim that in order to get ahead, a 70-hour work week is the new standard. One survey of 1,000 workers, 80% of them said that they work after they leave work. And so I would just ask you, I would just ask you, how many times after you punch out and get off the clock, do you pick up your phone and put yourself back on the clock? <laughs> 
How many times are you hanging out with friends, supposed to be engaged in meaningful conversation, and how much worse is it when those friends are our family and our children, and we just can't stop working after work? Here's some pastoral advice for you. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Now listen, I'm not saying never, right? Like there are times that I'm expecting a call or something's going on and things are swirling and I let my family know like, hey, I might need to take a call. I might need to check on something, right? I'm not saying never, but listen to this. What would, what would your life look like? How would your relationships be enriched if you reduced the number of times you pick up your phone for work or the the amount of time that you spend working after work? How much greater would your life be if you reduced it by 80%? 80%. So listen, I know that may not happen overnight, but, but can I encourage you, like, start somewhere? We need to fight against being workaholics in our culture. And so let me just offer a few suggestions. Number one, I would say let's hit a priority reset, all right? Where we make God and the people around us our treasure and our priority and not our work. And here's the really cool thing, okay? When, when worship is right, our work will be right. That's kind of what Jesus is saying, like, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be taken care of. Like, I, I can promise you, if you put God first in your life and the relationships that he's given you second in your life, then you will be living in the sweet spot and, and it will not hinder your work. It will probably help your work. And so hit a priority reset. Number two, practice proper boundaries. This is just what we're talking about. As much as possible, leave work at work. Along with that, this one's tough for me. I'm getting much better eight years into being a, a pastor and church planter than like two and three years into it, but like learn to say no. You can't answer every request. You can't do everything that is possible for you to do in your workplace or in your, you know, school or even being a mom, a stay-at-home mom. If that's your calling in life, you can't do everything. So learn to say no. And then finally, schedule rest. I know this may sound like kind of crazy or counterintuitive, okay, but some have taught me, all right, to like put family time in your calendar. Put, put devotional time, if you need to do, we talked about this before, put devotional time in your calendar. I'm sorry, I'm busy. I'm sorry, you want me to hang out on Saturday? Saturday's family time. Sorry, I can't hang out. It's not every Saturday, but that's like Saturday's family day. And so we need to schedule rest, get intentionality with our plans and our work. Now, here's a question, all right? Here's a question for you. What if you haven't found your voice in the workplace? Or what if you feel like you're not maximizing your voice in the workplace, here's a big question. Can you still find fulfillment in your work? And I believe the answer is 100% absolutely. 
And why is that? It's because work is arguably the greatest context for you to fulfill the second greatest commandment that Jesus gives us, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Matthew 22, 39 says, right? Like God, Jesus says the first great and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. And your neighbor, by the way, Jesus defines as whoever is around you, Right? Anyone and everyone has the potential to be your neighbor. And so work gives us that opportunity to give of ourselves for the betterment of those around us. And yet I want you to think with me. Like when people ask others, why do you work? Here are a few common responses, okay? Um, Number one, many people just say like, I got to get paid. You know, I got to put food on the table. And, and absolutely, like, that is, a, that is a, a proper motivation, right? But it should not be the primary motivation. One survey uh, from salary.com said 73% of those surveyed work strictly for the paycheck. Wow. 73%. These people probably would agree with the words of Steve Allen, who says, all I wanted was an honest, day, uh, honest week's wage for an honest day's work. How about that? <laughs> Working for the paycheck. Listen, do not pursue a job primarily for the salary it pays, but for the service it provides. How about that? This is not that a salary doesn't matter. Like, we need to put food on the table. We need to take care of those around us, right? But, but, but our values in, in America can so often be skewed, where we only take a new job if it pays more. But maybe we can't do as much good in this job that pays six figures versus this one that pays five. Here's another reason. I, I got to feel good about myself. And see how we take God's good design and then we twist it. So it's, it's not that, like, hopefully we've established, like, God wants us to find satisfaction and fulfillment in our work. There's no doubt about it. We should feel fulfilled and satisfied. And yet, here's the danger. If that becomes our primary motivation, then what happens is we start thinking that certain work is beneath us, right? Like, it's beneath our dignity. But I can think back to my childhood. And three of the most probably influential, or at least people that I appreciated the most in my life, their names were Gary, Reba, and Tony. These were people, three people, that took an interest in my life. There was no doubt about it. And from what I could see, they did their work with excellence. Gary and Tony were custodians in my school. And Reba was my elementary school bus driver. And so I'm just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the Garys and the Rebas and the Tonys of our world that keep us moving forward. 
we find satisfaction in our work, but, but we don't make that an idol, right? It's, it's not the primary motivation. And then here's one more. Maybe you're, maybe you're kind of in this stage. It's like, man, I just want to like put in my 30, 40, 50 years so that I can get to retirement. Any, anyone? Like that's just like your goals. You've just like set those goals. Like, and, and that's like retire. Like, here, here's the challenge. Measure your retirement goals against the goals of Scripture. Like as you think about retirement, you think about what you want to do with your life after work, let the Word of God drive your values as you enter into that season in life. So, so do, do any of these resonate? Like if you think like just before this work series, I know your whole worldview is like being, you know, transformed by this awesome teaching, you know, but like before you would have stepped into this series, like would you say like, man, I'm just primarily working for a salary or like self-satisfaction or even to like sit pretty in retirement one day? Like that's my motivation for punching the clock. The better motivation is to work so that we can love our neighbor and enrich the lives of those around us. These, these two primary, God gives us work so that, as we saw last week, we can glorify him, we can point to how great he is, we can worship him in our work, and we can love our neighbor as our self. These are the two primary motivations for our vocational callings and our work. And, and, and just think, think about this. I love this, okay, because uh, this, this idea of serving one another in our work actually helps us crush another myth that we often just drink in as Americans, and that is the myth of autonomy, all right? The myth of autonomy. In other words, um, we th- we like to function and live in such an independent way that we feel like, oh, I don't really need them. I don't really need their help. I don't really need others to serve me. But just think about that chair you're sitting in right there. Who manufactured that chair? Well, who, who made that factory go that produced all of the pieces of that chair that you're sitting in right now? On top of that, what about the designers and the engineers that, that put all of that together? On top of that, what about those that educated all of those people? Wow. Just that chair connects you to like thousands and thousands of people. We are interdependent on one another. Our work connects us and it brings us together to help us see that we need one another. God made us in such a way that we need community. We need one another. And when we see this in our work, don't miss this. When we see this in our work, perhaps that will help us understand that we have a greater need, not only to be dependent on one another, but also to be dependent on God himself. I mean, one of, one of the, the biggest barriers to people coming to faith in Christ and trusting God is they just don't see their need, right? It's like, I don't need God in my life. I don't need what he offers me. But if you need everyone else around you, even to have some breakfast in the morning, how much more don't you know that you need the God who made you? 
wow, like Jesus didn't come and live a perfect life and die on the cross and rise again because we didn't need him. We need him. So maybe that even just for you, this is thought is just light bulbs are going off that you're saying like, yes, I really do need God. I need to trust in what Christ has done for me in his life, death, death and resurrection by faith. And so we are dependent on one another, even as we're dependent on God. Now, uh, here's just one, one other encouragement related to this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. You're going to love this, by the way, okay? You're going to love this. You might want to write this down. All right, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to demand a raise. Come on. Demand a raise. Go into your workplace tomorrow and demand a raise. Now, some of you may need a monetary raise. <laughs> Maybe you probably deserve it. But, but, but here's what I'm talking about. Not, not a raise of a couple grand or whatever, but, but how about a raise in your performance and work? How about a raise in your level of work ethic to put in good work so that your work enriches people's lives in a greater way? That's the kind of, like, don't you... Our work should c contribute to a better Boston. Our work should, should enrich the lives of those around us in greater ways. And so we, we let our, our work speak by doing what God has made us to do and serving who God has made us to serve. And then finally, here's a third encouragement, okay? Watch God work through your work, all right? This is, this is a way to raise your voice at work, and it's, it's more passive, okay, but it's, it's so helpful because as we see God working through our work, it's going to motivate us to raise our voice in a, in, a, in a higher and greater way. And so here's what I'm talking about, okay? All of your work, this, this is humbling, right? This is, but it's freeing, and it's empowering, too, okay? Behind all of our work, 100% of us, not just the guy with the Bible, is God's work. Behind all of your work, think about what you're going to do tomorrow. Think about what you're going to do Tuesday, okay? Behind all of your work is God's work. Primarily because we are living and working in the world that he has made. And so listen to the words of Mark Knoll in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, okay? This is what he says about our work being pushed along and empowered by God's work. This is what he says. Who, after all, made the world of nature and then made possible the development of sciences through which we find out more about nature? Who formed the universe of human interactions and so provided the raw materials for politics, economics, sociology, and history? Who is the source of harmony, form, and narrative pattern, and so lies behind all artistic and literary possibilities? Who created the human mind in such a way that it could grasp the endless realities of nature, of human interactions, of beauty, and so make possible the theories of such matters by philosophers and psychologists? Who, moment by moment, sustains the natural world, the world of human interactions, and the harmonies of existence? 
Who maintains moment by moment the connections between what is in our mind and what is in the world beyond our minds? The answer in every case is the same. God did it, and God does it. In all of your work, there is a God who is behind your work, enabling your work. And so let's watch. Let's watch how God is working through our work as he's behind our work, but he is also, listen, he is also in our work. He is in our work. And I want to point out from Psalm, turn to Psalm, or you can just listen as I read them for us. Psalm 147, verses 13 and 14. Right, this, is a, this is a psalm of praise, praising God for who he is. Okay, in verse 12, let me back up to verse 12. It says, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Here's why. Verse 13. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. Don't miss this. You're going to miss this if you don't pay attention right now. Okay, this is, please pay attention. All right. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. So, so what Martin Luther, okay, great theologian, pastor in the history of the church, okay, what Martin Luther says about these verses is that this is how vocational calling works, that God has given us specific assignments, and he is working in those assignments to accomplish his purposes in the world. So listen to what Luther says. Um, by the word bars, okay, we must not understand not we must understand not only the iron bar that a smith can make, okay, just like the bar itself, but beyond that, everything else that helps us to protect, and uh, such as good government, good city ordinances, good order, and wise rulers. This is a gift of God. So so Luther is saying like. Every, everything that promotes a good and just society, a protection, a protective measures around us, it's all a gift from God that God is strengthening the, the bars of our gates through all of these various vocations around us. And so then he goes on to say, I love this. He says, what else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but the work of children by which he, God, wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. All right, so, so, so here's what Luther is saying. This is what the psalm is pointing to is that no matter if you are a teacher, an engineer, a software developer, a nurse, a lawyer, someone working in the service industry, nonprofits, pastor, God is working in and through our work. It is as if He is hidden and He is putting on a mask, doing good work through us to bless the world. And so if this is true, and I deeply believe it is, 
that there is a God behind and in and working through all of our work, then we must ask the question regularly, if not daily, what is my work saying to those around me? Listen, I want to pray, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today. But as I pray, I just want to pray that God helps you see what he's made you to do, who he's made you to serve, and how he is absolutely working through you to accomplish his purposes in our world. And so let's pray. Let's press into this, this, these truths of, of how God is working in our work and let's then go put in good work this week and every week, all for his name and the good of those around us. God, thank you. Thank you for how you make us all unique. You give us special assignments and callings by which you are worshipped in our work, but also by which you enable us to love and serve those around us. And so, God, I pray that we would collectively find our voice. As Redemption Hill Church, as those that are part of it, maybe they're just even visiting for the first time today, that, that you would help us to see how much influence and power our work can have on a day-to-day basis. So, God, would you help us find our voice? But, God, would you help us raise our voice all for your name? and for the good of those around us. God, we pray that the people known as Redemption Hill would contribute to a better Boston. We pray this in the name of Christ.